Today's reading is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, happy Sunday, everyone. Um, My name is Flick. If we haven't met, um, welcome if you're new to church today. As uh, Joe said before, we're just coming out of the Easter season. So in the last two weeks during this period of time, we've been hearing about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And this is what we do at Easter. We focus our attention on that astonishing historical event, which is actually the linchpin of our Christian belief, our Christian faith. Without the resurrection, Jesus of Nazareth would have faded into history as an impressive but ultimately crazy criminal. He would be merely a man who taught some good principles and did some amazing miracles, but who also lied about his identity and made promises that he definitely couldn't keep. But instead, because of the resurrection, Christians have confidence that Jesus is actually who he said he was, the son of the Most High God, And Christians have confidence then that God is powerful and is powerful to give us new life just as he gave Jesus Christ new life. In fact, our passage from Ephesians today says that we already have this new resurrection life. You can see it in verse 6. It says, we have been raised up. We are seated with God in the heavenly realms. And of course, we know that this isn't a physical seating. And so today we're going to consider what it looks like for us to live as resurrected people. Ephesians 2 also tells us that our resurrected life has been given to us in order to show God's kindness to us, which is expressed in Jesus Christ. As we live as God intended, pointing to Jesus, our lives become beautiful and they draw admiration. Our lives are glorious in this way. And this is what it looks like for us to live as resurrected people. So how do we live as God intended? How do we have these beautiful lives? Well, to start with what we see in Ephesians is that we don't do it by boasting. We don't do it by boasting about how good we are. There are some things in life which we might justify boasting about. Sometimes we do manage to achieve impressive things and we want others to know that we've succeeded and so we'll boast about that. But here's what we cannot do. We cannot boast that our escape from sin and death and all of the, um, the hooks that they put in us or that our new life as children of God is anything that we do. That's not the result of any of our own efforts. Twice when we look at this passage in Ephesians, in verses 5 and verse 8, we read that it is by grace you have been saved. Not by works, says verse 9, so that no one may boast. 
Our salvation and our new resurrection life that comes with it is a free gift from God. It is the result of God's great love, which we see in verse 4, and his rich mercy, which we've just sung about and we also see in verse 4. It's a result of God's power to raise us up and his kindness shown towards us. Even the faith we have is a free gift from God. We cannot boast about gaining our resurrection life because God, out of his goodness, his character, his immense strength, has done everything required so that we might have new life with him. And everything that is required is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's kindness to us. Jesus is God's grace shown to us. God decided that he would send Jesus to be perfectly obedient, to live a perfectly obedient life to God, to die in place for our sins and to rise again in order to overcome the power of death. And it is because of this that we have been raised to new life with Christ. So we are saved by grace, not by works, and so we cannot boast in our efforts. But we can boast in Jesus Christ. And I think uh, when we look at the passage that we see today, we see that we cannot boast about our amazing new life, which we have received from God. And in fact, it is God's intention that we do so. God intends that our new lives will boast about Jesus and the way that Jesus shows God's kindness and that this will happen in an ongoing way. So if you look at verses 6 and 7, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. In order that. Our resurrected lives are intended to boast about what God has kindly done for us in Jesus. And we will see that Jesus will continue to be kind to us as well in our lives. But I think for all of us, we will recognise that there are times when we look at our own lives or the life of the church around the world, and we might question whether our lives are worth boasting about, whether our lives do in fact point to Jesus. And I guess the question then is, if we've been saved by grace and our lives don't look beautiful, can we do anything about this? If we are saved by God's efforts and not our own, what can we do to make our lives look beautiful? Well, I want to suggest that even though we're saved by grace, we do still have some choice in what our resurrected lives look like. And so this is one of those points where uh, we're talking about sanctification, one of those Christian-y words, not about our salvation. So if you have accepted Christ, then you are secure in your salvation. Your life is secure with him. But we're also told as Christians that we will continue to be sanctified, which is we will continue to grow more and more like Christ. And this is how our lives become more and more beautiful. And an illustration I want to use, which hopefully will make sense to some of you, we'll see how we go, uh, is if you think about a video game. So I think you can pick probably any video game, uh, Super Mario Kart, Grand Theft Auto, maybe even Solitaire. And imagine that you've used up all your lives, right? It's a video game, all your lives are gone. Game over. Except that the game resets, yes? And what happens when it resets? The screen comes back on, you're sitting there in your starting position, you have new life. 
right? But you can make the most of that new life that you have when you pick up the controls and start pushing buttons. And the reality is that with a video game, if you know your position in the game, so sometimes you get plonked down somewhere in the middle of a track, if you know your position in the game, and you know the benefits of that position, so you know what's coming or you know, uh, you know what the track looks like, and as you grow in understanding of the design of the game character that you're playing, then actually your ability to make the most of that new life grows. So Christians have been given new life already. It is a life which is beautiful and will draw admiration. And if our life was a video game, then our character as the resurrected person is the best character we can possibly play. But I think that as we grow in understanding of this, then we will move into the fullness of our resurrected lives. In saying this, I don't think that our lives will always look beautiful or that they will be without difficulty. But we can have confidence, as Philippians 1 verse 6 tells us, that even when our lives look messy, God, who began a good work in you, will carry that good work on to completion. So even as we grow and make choices, God is ultimately at work in us. So how do we, as resurrected people, understand our position? What are the benefits that come with our position and how is it that we live according to our design strengths? Well, Ephesians 2 says that it is because of God's great love for us that he's raised us to new life. So this is a question for you. Do you believe that you are greatly loved by God? Not just do you know it in your head, but do you believe it to be true? Understanding that God loves you gives us a position of security and I hope that this is your experience, that if you've been loved in life, then you know how much love helps you to feel secure. Psychology also helps us to understand this. If we think about attachment theory, think about children and their attachment to their caregivers, and we see it in our own congregations sometimes. When we look at the toddlers around our congregations, if they know where their parents or their caregivers are sitting, then you can see that they feel free to explore what's around them. They know that they are loved and that the person that's looking after them is attentive to them. And so they can go and they can explore and try new things. We are greatly loved by the creator and sustainer of the universe. Our attachment is to God through Christ. And if we look at Jesus, we see that he is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. In the chapter before this, in Ephesians, it says that Jesus is seated far above all rule and authority, all power and dominion, and above every name that is invoked. So not only is our caregiver, Jesus, seated next to God, and we're told in Ephesians 2, 4, that we are seated with him, but we are loved by God. We are loved by God whose power is even able to raise people from the dead. This is a very secure position for us to be in. And it is a very secure position from which we can explore life. So there are benefits to being in this position. Uh, again, I'm going to give you a personal example, and I hope that some of you um, have had this experience, um, but I hope it also helps to explain one of the benefits of our connection to God. 
I can't remember a time in my life uh, that I didn't believe that God was with me. I remember as a teenager, probably around 11 years old, going for a walk in the dark with my sister and some friends. And you know, as kids, you're pretty good at freaking each other out. You think that there's terrible things lurking in the darkness. And in my mind, to try and appear brave, I distinctly remember saying to myself, well, what's the worst that can happen? Well, I guess I could die, but that's okay because I know where I'm going. The same thing went through my head when I was 21 and I found myself stuck on the Brazilian border at night on my own without any transport and I had to hail a passing car and, of course, there's a whole lot of fear that happens in that situation. You think, what is, what is this going to look like? But I, again, remember thinking, well, if I die, I know where I'm going. And I know that speaking about death is morbid, but death is one of our greatest fears in life, is it not? Death and the fear of death is one of our greatest barriers to action. And that is sometimes the fear of physical death, but it might also be the fear of death of a relationship or the fear of death of our expectations or our hopes. And so understanding that we are in a relationship with the God who is the source of all life gives us reason not to fear death in the same way. It gives me true and deep confidence. And it is confidence that is greater than the fears of those unknown situations. It doesn't mean that I don't fear pain or that I don't try and avoid suffering or risk. But the benefit of knowing our position with God is that we have this ability to look at what life and death is in a way that is different and that helps us to trust that God is bigger and is in control and that we don't have to fear death in the same way. And I found this to be true as well um, when it comes to others dying. Um, I've had some friends die in my life, and of course I still feel grief in those deaths. But at the same time, knowing God gives me peace because I do trust that God is a loving and just God, and so I can trust those people to God. This is a benefit of our life with God. Another benefit of our position as resurrected people might helpfully be understood by thinking about Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, who's passed away recently. If we look at him, we see that for much of his life, he was seated next to the Queen. And so we can assume that he had her ear and her attention. He could speak to the Queen with confidence, knowing that she was interested in him, that she cared about his opinion that she would listen to his opinions and his requests because she valued him so highly. Because of the Queen's closeness to him, Prince Philip was in a position of privilege and probably was able to draw on her authority. And we as resurrected people, seated next to God, have God's ear and attention. So this means that we can be confident when we pray that God, who again has the power over all of life, is listening to us. And God invites us to share our needs and our concerns and our hopes and our plans with him. This God is a God who is aware of us and interested in us and will provide for us. And so a benefit of being resurrected people is that we can grow in confidence that God is interested in us and grow in confidence in the way that we ask God for things. 
Another benefit of our resurrected lives is that being united to Christ gives us wisdom because the Spirit of God is at work in us, living in us and guiding us. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 to 13 tells us this. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. And this passage goes on to say, we have the mind of Christ. This benefit of our resurrected lives is that we have the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom and gives us a new perspective on life. And from this perspective, we can look at what is happening around us and see and speak of life in a new way. This is a beautiful gift. It is one of the things that makes our resurrected lives glorious. Because from where we sit, we can see the truth that there is actually order in life. It is not just the result of random chance or chaos. And knowing that there is order gives us grounds to test ideas and to make plans based on the fact that there are patterns that we can find. So, for example, many of the scientists in the world had a faith that they trusted that there was order that they could seek and pursue, and it means that they made great discoveries and we now sit in a position where we can reproduce cells and we can test behaviours and we can forecast outcomes and that means that we can create vaccines and cure diseases and counsel people into healthier patterns of thinking. All of these things are made more solid by the fact that we trust that there is good order in the world. The Holy Spirit also helps us to recognise that some things are truly good and other things are truly evil. There is a spiritual battle going on. And evil forces are at work in the world... We know that life is more than just the physical, that there is a spiritual realm as well. And so that gives us an ability to understand things with a new perspective. And I know that sometimes that sounds daunting or we might fear that idea, but actually we also know that Jesus has been victorious through his death over all powers and dominions, as we just heard. And so not only do we have confidence that the God that we're connected to is strong over all of those evil things, but also that ultimately Jesus will return and will bring true justice. So we have this hope for true justice in life. Our perspective also allows us to see people as inherently valuable. When I was working as a nurse, I had a conversation with another nurse and, and in our discussion we were talking about why we did what we did and I said, well, I want to be able to you know, show people through caring for them that they have worth. And this nurse did not understand that. For him, it was about, you know, controlling our biology and being able to, like, make things do what they were meant to do. But my faith, my understanding of who God is and who people are in relation to God was, you know, a recognition that people aren't valuable because of their looks or their wealth or how healthy they are. They're valuable because they are created in God's image. This is perspective that we have as Christians that other people do not have. And from that place of recognising people's inherent worth, we are able to act in a way that is truly loving towards people, 
that respects them and that gives them voice. Our new perspective in Christ also gives us hope. So not only is there a design in life, and not only is there a God who cares about what's going on, but we have hope that there is a bigger plan, and in that plan, God is working to restore life to people and to creation. So these are some of the benefits of this new resurrected life that we live in as Christians. And I think we can take them for granted, but I think if you get into conversations with other people, you'll learn pretty quickly that a lot of people do not have that understanding. They do not sit in that position. They do not know that they are loved. They do not know that they can have hope in the world. And so the wonderful thing is that as we live and act according to God's good design, and that good design, which is to do good works, then I think we will grow into a realisation and experience the fullness of our resurrected lives even more. Ephesians verse 10 says that we are God's handiwork, his artwork. God is pleased, has been pleased to craft you into existence and he's been pleased to give you new life through Christ and God is pleased to keep shaping you So through the Holy Spirit, we live as God's handiwork. And as we live as God's handiwork, our lives will be seen to be beautiful and to draw admiration from others. A way that I want to try and encourage us to think about this, to see that this is something we can continue to grow in, but also something that we're already doing, is by having a look at some of the things that we can recognise in our own congregation. So when we look at our congregation... We can see evidence of what this life looks like and see the good works that are being done, not because we believe that these works are going to save us, we know we are already saved, but because we are so grateful for who our God is and for what he has done. We're so grateful for God's grace and kindness to us, which has been shown to us through Jesus. So some of these good works uh, might be that We speak positively and with thankfulness about the hope that we have in our day-to-day lives and even when struggles come up, rather than despairing in the face of suffering because we remember that God has been kind to us. We might trust the Spirit to help us resist evil, whether that is that we resist speaking angrily to someone or we choose to forgive someone rather than holding a grudge or seeking revenge. And we do this because we know that we have been forgiven by God. We might choose uh, to resist evil by reusing and recycling, something that seems very small and everybody can do it. But I think that we recognise that, you know, the creation around us is important. God loves it. And instead of continuing to generate pollution, we can play a part in protecting ecosystems rather than helping to kill them off. Our congregation might do good works by participating in restoring life to people, and we might do this through affirming their worth, and that can come in many ways. It might be merely through speaking kindly to someone, even if they're nasty to us. It might be through our attentions to people who are poor or who are old or who are foolish. Uh, It might be through any of our interactions with people that we affirm that they are valuable. We might share God's good work by helping to amplify voices, the voices of victims or of refugees of our First Nations peoples. And we do this because we know that God values them, values their lives and wants them to thrive as well. 
Our congregation is also or might also do works by sharing our resources generously. We know actually our church is very generous and last year in a year where lots of churches struggled, our church did not because of your wonderful giving. And so sharing our resources is a good work that we can do. It might also be that we share our resources by opening our homes up to people, as some of you do, or have people over for meals or make food for someone. And we do this because we know that God will provide for us. Our good works might be that we support charities like helping building roofs in Tanzania, or we might volunteer from our experience and our education and volunteer and give that for the benefit of others. We might choose career paths which are less recognised from a worldly position, but which actually allow us to work against injustice or to teach others about God's good life. And we do this because we know that God is calling us all to speak about him and his truth. These are good works that I think we can see our church doing already. And I think that as we do these things, not because we must, but because we are grateful for our freedoms and for our connection to a God who is loving and powerful, I think we do grow in our understanding of this resurrected life that we have. Our good works might be that we raise children faithfully to share with others and to respect others and to love God. It might be that our good works are that we choose every day to love our spouse rather than going for the newer model or the more attractive other person because this is what faithfulness looks like. All of these things are good works that we might already be doing, that we can do, and all of these things are things which help us to trust in God and to grow in our understanding of God's character and therefore to grow in our understanding of what life with God looks like. And of course, some of these things are hard to do, but I think that as we do them and continue to do them, we do point to the goodness of Jesus and we learn more and more how to be these people who are generous and whose lives look beautiful and are lives that we want to replicate. And as we do these things, as we do these good works, our lives become lives of mercy and grace towards other people. And we will know in these things that we show mercy and kindness because God is constantly showing mercy and kindness to us in Jesus Christ. And this is a life that we have with God now by the Spirit of God living in us, but it is also a life that we have for eternity. And this is a great cause for hope in us. And so I hope that you'll think about actually what your own resurrected life looks like, that you'll think about how you see examples of that in yourself and that you are encouraged and excited by that. And I hope that you'll reflect on the benefits of your relationship with God because as we remember these things, I think we, are, um, we increase in joy and also we're uh, encouraged to do good things for others. So I'm going to finish by praying for us and praying that God will increase our experience of our new and resurrected lives. Lord God, thank you for loving us so much and for being so merciful towards us that you sent Jesus Christ to save us. We were stuck in patterns which led to our disobedience against you and against your good design, and we were dying because of our sin. Through Jesus, you have raised us up and given us new and beautiful life. We are your handiwork. Work in us by your Holy Spirit to help us live every day with gratitude for what you have done. 
and with joy, doing good works to glorify you and to bring life to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.